sugar is our first love. It's in all of our earliest foods, from the milk we drink to the fruit we eat. And by the time we learn to love our parents and our pets, our love for sweetness is already as old as we are. And as we grow, that love intensifies into candy. Now, I don't have to tell you that candy is the purest form of that desire for sweetness. Tiny, intensely sweet creations that are tantamount to art, an explosion of experience that inspires joy and wonder in every single kid. Now, I grew up about an hour outside of Hershey, Pennsylvania. Yeah, that Hershey. So you might not be surprised to learn that every year when we went to Hershey, Pennsylvania for the Hershey theme park, my eyes would roll back into my head at the sights and smells of all of that chocolate. One of my favorite experiences was the chocolate tour, in no small part because it ended with free candy. And I wasn't the only six-year-old to fall head over heels in love with candy. Every kid's familiar with this experience, and in fact, in America, we even have a ritualized indoctrination ceremony for kids and their candy. Halloween righteously embodies that same pure joy and wonder that kids get when they open their first piece of candy. That indulgence crystallizes into piles of Twix and Snickers, Smarties and Sour Patch Kids. But... There's a bit of a dark side in all that dark chocolate. Who among us hasn't known the very special joy of eating your entire bag of candy and maybe stealing a piece or two from your siblings and spending the rest of the night arriving in well-deserved agony? Overindulgence is something every kid learns on their first Halloween. Now, maybe you're one of the lucky ones and were able to leave your days of binging on Halloween candy safely in your childhood. But for some of us, like Kaylee Hood, it's not quite so simple. I think it's every kid's first sort of like, oh, I eat this and I will feel joy. Sugar is incredibly addictive. I've heard it described as like the very original high, like when you do other drugs or you you know, you drink or you do something that makes you feel euphoric, you're kind of chasing that time when you were a kid and you ate, you know, Sour Patch Kids and you were like, wow, this feels amazing. <laughs> There's a lot of moments through my childhood where, you know, candy had a very, very special Role. I know um, my grandfather would come up from his house in South Carolina. He would drive all the way up to Maine, where we lived. And whenever he got there, he would have a giant bag of Jelly Belly jelly beans. Or we would go out together and get them, which was even more fun sometimes. And it was always mixed. It wasn't a specific flavor of jelly bean, but I personally liked the toasted marshmallow ones and the popcorn ones. I think those were my two favorites. My grandmother's garden, she also she always grew rhubarb, and so one of the things that we would do is just grab a cup of white sugar and dip a stalk of rhubarb in it. It grows pretty easily as well, so it just kind of was always there. So I think it was 
we just kind of felt like we were scavenging like wild candy almost. But also there were a lot of times, you know, with my mom or my dad where we would go to the Rite Aid or the grocery store and just get a bunch of candy. My dad would just say, do you want to get candy? Or he would sometimes uh, spell out the word candy to my mom very early on when I didn't understand. (laughs) In no small part, my parents wanted candy. I think that's kind of the root cause. But I also think it's, for both of my parents, I think it's a moment of like spontaneous joy. Like, hey, let's be fun and let's go. It wasn't just candy that we'd do it with. We'd go get ice cream for dinner. (laughs) There was a time it was, because of course I grew up in Maine, so there was always a blizzard, but it was in the middle of a blizzard and our favorite ice cream place had just opened up and we hadn't been, so we drove in the middle of a blizzard to get ice cream for dinner. Um, And I think it's just this sort of like whimsy that both of my parents found ways to instill and just like, yeah, why not? Let's do that. So my name is Kaylee. I really like food. (laughs) And I am also a writer. (laughs) I have binge eating disorder, which basically is a disorder characterized by eating more food than a typical person. A lot of my really early binge eating behaviors were just whatever was on hand because I couldn't leave the house. So, you know, spoonfuls of white sugar, brown sugar, molasses, um, things that are not exactly pleasant, uh, baker's chocolate... (laughs) And I would always be like cooking something up, whatever I could. And then when I was able to start baking, I think it changed a little. And, you know, instead of eating a spoonful of sugar, I'd make a whole batch of cupcakes. (laughs) And of course, I don't think I realized at the exact moment. I think it's kind of like that saying um, about how to boil a frog. (laughs) You don't realize it all at once. It creeps up on you. It didn't really occur to me that that's what was happening until I was in college. So when I was in high school and junior high, I was on two separate swim teams and I would sometimes be exercising for three hours every day. It didn't occur to anybody that it would be a problem because my weight was fine. My, you know, I was in good shape or good enough shape. And then when I went to college, I was not swimming like that anymore. Um, I wasn't exercising almost at all really. And, you know, when the weight creeps up, then you realize, oh, (laughs) I'm getting fatter and I'm also eating a ton of candy. Hmm. (laughs) And so I think it's, you know, with the fluctuation in my weight that I started to realize it could be a real problem. I think it's a fairly direct correlation between being sort of a troubled child and having eating disorders. I think it's, you know, one of our most primitive and primal sort of like self-soothing mechanisms. And it's a way to take care of yourself when maybe you're not getting the care that you need, or maybe you're not advocating for yourself in other ways. At least you can, you know, choose what you're putting in your body. 
I've been realizing recently that maybe it was a way of trying to take care of myself and be nice to myself, um, you know, if a misguided attempt. But I definitely think that it has a lot to do with just trying, you know, just trying to care for yourself, um, which is very difficult sometimes. (laughs) Indulging can be absolutely wonderful and it can be um, a really, really amazing way to be nice to yourself if you're having a bad day to say, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to have a chocolate cake. But the problem comes in when it doesn't make you feel better anymore. For me, a lot of the time when I'm binging, it's actively making me feel worse to do so. You know, you're eating until you're over full. You're eating <laughs> something like Sour Patch Kids, which literally hurts your mouth. <laughs> I think that sort of behavior comes from almost a desire to externalize whatever I'm feeling inside that feels horrible. And so, you know, if your body feels weighed down and laden and gross and ridiculous, then it matches what you feel inside sometimes. And I also think when you're treating yourself, you can stop. You can have as much as you want and then be done. It's that sort of fine line between desire and sort of addiction. It's been a long time since I had an interaction with a candy bowl where I was like, I did that right. (laughs) Because, you know, my, my boss loves Halloween, my boss now, and she, we have this giant Halloween ghost that we put candy in. It's like a ghost holding a bowl. It's a very cute, like, Walmart Halloween decoration. And she just will buy giant bags of Reese's and K-Cats and, you know, the whole Halloween mix and just all month long dumps it into that ghost. She'll come in in the morning and she'll say the ghost is full. And granted, my other coworkers will express kind of frustration as well. Like, oh, you know, it's all going to be gone in three days. (laughs) But it still feels like it's like uniquely my fault when it's gone. Part of the sort of fabric of my binge eating disorder is just the inability to think about anything but food and to just be so fixated on either, you know, the next meal or the thing I just ate or the thing I'm considering eating that's right there in front of me. And I have found that joking about it, you know, making jokes to either other people in the same room, like for example, my coworkers with the bowl of candy and just saying like, oh my God, we destroyed that in two days. It sort of stops those thoughts in their tracks for a second to be able to examine them in a different light of like, this is an absurd thing that human beings do and I'm not the only one. It sort of momentarily helps you reframe that whole conversation in your own head. The idea of candy is universal and ancient. The story begins across Europe and Asia, where the first candies were honey-cured fruits and even flowers. The word even comes to us from a very old Sanskrit word, kanda, meaning, aptly enough, candied sugar. 
And it was in India between the 6th and 4th centuries BCE that the modern candy age really began. And it all started with the development of sugarcane. You see, the very first step in modern candy making is to extract sugar from the cane. Sugarcane is stout, jointed, fibrous. If you've ever seen bamboo, you're basically on the right track. It grows between 6 and 20 feet tall, and it's traditionally harvested by hand and machete. Keep this in mind. So once it's harvested, it's cut, shredded, and milled to, to extract the juice, because that's really what we're after here. That's where all the sugar is. The juice is then clarified and evaporated into a thin syrup. That syrup is filtered and further clarified. And then the whole thing is concentrated under a vacuum in what's called a vacuum boiling pan. This happens until the liquid is super saturated. Basically what we're doing here is we're trying to isolate all of the individual crystals of sucrose. That supersaturated syrup is then put through a centrifuge which separates out what's called the first strike molasses from the raw demerara sugar. This process, the sugar being melted and filtered and spun, happens again, and again, and sometimes even again, until what you're left with is blackstrap molasses and pure sucrose. Now, as you can probably tell, this is an incredibly labor-intensive process, which, as I mentioned, has historically been done almost entirely by hand. And we like our sugar. The entire world has been known to indulge in as much of it as it can possibly get its hands on. And as the cane and methods of processing spread across the world, so too did these indulgences and their subsequent abuses. incredibly large part of the demand for slave labor in South America and the Caribbean was in no small part due to sugar. And it was really on the backs of this slave labor that sugar milling was able to feed the insatiable hunger for rum, teas, coffees, baked goods, and of course, candies across Europe and the Americas. But we're not done there. Candy still requires the reduction of sugar in water to make syrups. As the water cooks out, the sugar concentrates and it becomes more and more saturated. And the way that that sugar is going to behave when it cools changes. This process of boiling off the water to saturate the syrup gives us everything from simple syrup to taffy to brittles to caramel. Mixing in flavors like butter, vanilla, fruits, nuts, cinnamon, or chocolate is an artistic expression left to the confectioner. Of course, in 2017, this whole process is almost entirely automated. A single Jolly Rancher can roll from cane to cabinet without ever having been touched by a person. And our lust for sugar has only increased as we found other sources, such as high fructose corn syrup. 
Germany consumes a staggering 29 pounds of candy per person per year. Our collective search for an ever-increasing breadth and depth of candy is perhaps one of the most primal objectives of humanity. Maybe it's driven by the fundamental familiarity of our first love, sweetness. Or perhaps it's just that perfect little moment of joy when you open a piece of candy. Kaylee, thank you very much for sharing your story. I just wanted to ask you a couple of questions. Uh, We'll start off pretty easy. What is the best candy? I think a fun dip. It's like the epitome of candy. There's a process involved and, you know, you have to dip the little stick into the powder um, and it's sour and it's sweet and it leaves your mouth brightly colored. (laughs) I am one of those people who really loves the little stick from Fun Dip. Not everybody sort of enjoys eating them because they're I mean they're pretty chalky to be frank (laughs) what is the worst candy I really hate red hots I I will eat them but I hate them (laughs) like most candy if it's there I'll probably eat it but like when I'm eating them I just wish I was eating something fruit flavored (laughs) you know they kind of have the harder outer shell and sort of texturally it just for me it just wants to be like like a Mike and I mean I don't love Mike and Ike's but that's what I really want to be eating when I eat those but I'm also not particularly a fan of your NECA wafers or your old-timey candies that they made before processed sugar whorehound candies (laughs) which we had a bunch as a kid my dad would always buy them because he liked them You talked a little bit about your eating disorder having some deep-seated roots in, in, in your childhood. Does anyone else in your family suffer from eating disorders? I reached out to my mom when I saw that question. Very basically, there was a time in her life when she had a form of OCD that manifested in just unshakable thoughts about specific foods, so she would just be fixated on this food. And so I reached out to her to ask her permission to kind of mention that. And she told me that she's been working with her therapist on binge eating disorder and on sort of addressing the causes and the role in her life and thinking about how she eats more. Um, So it was a really sort of heartwarming conversation to have. She actually said she did not really realize that I suffered from binge eating disorder, which I sort of find hard to believe. But, um, you know, in my family, it was like, if I turn down food, I must be sick. My grandmother would literally just put her hand on my forehead if I turned down food. And that was the whole joke. Um, so, you know, it's it's really in there. It's in the culture and the DNA of my family for sure. But again, like we were talking about before, it's also a source of whimsy and a source of, you know, there is something really delightful about being like, you know what I want? And just <laughs> all of us together going to get, you know, ice cream in the middle of a snowstorm. <laughs> Are there any other stories we should know? There is one thing that it would be a mistake not to share, I think. 
Uh, so my middle name is a family middle name. Um, it's Kennedy. And when I was a child, as most children do, um, I had a hard time pronouncing something that long and complicated. <laughs> so I legitimately believed my middle name to be Candy for a large portion of my childhood. And I would tell people that my name was Kaylee Candy. <laughs> and of course, my parents ate it up and participated and egged me on because that's hilarious. <laughs> so <laughs> it would be a mistake to not share that. <laughs> Coarse Ground is a show about the ways food impacts our lives. This episode's guest was Kaylee Kennedy Hood. If you don't want to miss the next episode, subscribe to the podcast or drop your email at courseground.com. If you don't want to miss anything, be sure to follow Coarse Ground Pod on Twitter. most maligned Halloween candy has got to be candy corn. And that's a shame, because candy corn, when done well, is really good. It's got a perfect, slightly chewy mouthfeel, and just the right amount of sweetness, and maybe just a hint of heat, but more on that later. Here's what you're going to need to do. Take four and a half ounces of powdered sugar, half an ounce of non-fat dry milk powder, and a quarter teaspoon of salt, and mix that together in a bowl. Set it aside, we'll come back to it later. Now combine three and a half ounces of granulated sugar, a mere two and a half tablespoons of water, and three and three quarters ounces of light corn syrup in a heavy two-quart saucepan. Place that over medium heat, cover, and cook for four minutes or so. Dollop in two tablespoons of unsalted butter at room temperature. Now bring this syrup to 240 degrees. I recommend a thermometer, but what you're really looking for is about a 20% reduction in overall volume. As soon as you've hit temperature, kill the heat and bring on the dry ingredients. Mix it in a little at a time until you've gotten the entirety worked in, and then mix in half a teaspoon of vanilla extract and, for a little bit of added heat, three drops of cinnamon oil. Three. Don't mess around with this unless you know what you're doing. To my tongue, three drops is pleasantly painful. Four drops and I need to lie down. By this point, you've probably noticed that your heavy candy syrup has condensed into a thick dough. This is exactly what you want. Split that dough into three parts, and if you're so aesthetically inclined, get out the food color. Mix four drops of yellow into the middle, and then four drops of yellow and four drops of red into the last. Just knead them until the color works its way throughout. I find that a taffy pulling maneuver tends to get the job done pretty well. Now, here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna take a very small amount of each color of dough, and I need to emphasize a very small amount. 
and you're going to make a Play-Doh snake. Just roll it between your hands until it starts to get a little bit longer, and then roll it out on a very cold counter, just barely adding pressure with your middle fingers. Now, once you've got each color rolled out, line them up, and just sort of press them together. Then, using a knife in an alternating zigzag pattern, cut out wedges. Lay the candies out on parchment paper for about an hour to dry and firm up a little bit. And you'll be rewarded with candy corn that's actually good. With enough of a cinnamon bite to keep you from eating it all at once. I'm Patrick Perini, and this has been Coarse Ground.